Hi, folks. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. This episode is actually going to introduce you to another podcast project near and dear to my heart. It is the Learning to Podcast. If you have not yet uh, subscribe to that podcast. Of course, I'm going to recommend that you do, um, not so that you're getting more of my voice, but so you are exploring some of the fantastic guests that have been on that program. This episode is no exception to that. I am so pleased, so proud to spend time with Justin Garcia, who is a phenomenal educator. Hope you enjoy this episode of the Learning to Podcast. Welcome to the Learning To Podcast, the podcast about the learning to global events, a conference for teachers by teachers. On this podcast, you will enjoy stories about learning to, as well as core reflections on the many learnings that have resulted from our events. Listeners, welcome back to the Learning To Podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. On today, we have special guest Justin Garcia. I'm really excited about this episode because it comes to you with just enough time for you to connect with Learning To's April virtual event and to learn firsthand from Justin Garcia. They are an extraordinary educator. This is an opportunity not to be missed if you have the opportunity to take advantage of it. So on this episode, you'll get to hear a little bit more from Justin in terms of the background, the research that went into the session, and why a session like this matters so much to our students and to ourselves. Uh, my name is Justin Garcia. My pronouns are they, them. And um, this is my 10th year teaching internationally. And I've been at Chiang Mai International School for the past five years. And next year, I will be moving to Frankfurt International School in Frankfurt, Germany. So thank you for having me. Thank you, Justin, for, for taking the time with us. We're going to point to a few of the different resources that Justin has created. Every conversation with them has definitely been an opportunity for learning for me. And we're really excited that Justin has an upcoming extended session through learning to their virtual event that's happening this April on April 23rd to be exact. And I'd love to hear more, Justin, about your experiences, how they've shaped what your session description says. And I'm actually gonna quote from it here, quote, Queer, gender-affirming, anti-racist, and culturally responsive practices are key components in creating equitable classroom spaces. However, there is little analysis on how these core concepts intersect with multilingual classrooms and identities, end quote. Justin, I'd love to hear from you how you first came to really be mindful of that need um, and you know what, what difference has your emphasis on that intersection meant for the learners that you work with at your school? Sure, yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, when I, 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 I always, I studied um, multilingual education for my um, grad school and undergraduate degrees. That was always my emphasis. So I've always had a passion for this. And um, I really started digging into um, concepts around translanguaging and co-teaching probably five or six years ago 
but as I as I continued to study um, these practices and this pedagogy, um, I noticed a lot of concepts were repeating themselves. I noticed the same people were kind of having the same same platform, and it was mostly white cis heterosexual women, um, and. I was really hungry to explore the identity aspect of this because there's always talk about translanguaging and co-teaching and those are all uh, excellent things that multilingual teachers should be doing in their classrooms, but um, that's kind of where it stopped. And I was really wondering about the intersectionality of different aspects of multilingual identities. Um, how does, especially being an international school, how does bias and racism play into, play into this? Um, what about queer students navigating not just their identity in English, but also their gender or sexual identity? And there was just very little of that in the canon, right? People have been doing this work, but it wasn't being highlighted and I didn't know where to start looking for this. So that's where my like shift kind of focused. And I noticed a lot of these um, conversations and a lot of these texts like didn't name these things either. It talked about being inclusive and equitable, but um, they weren't using specific language like anti-racism, like queer and gender affirming. Um, and so many amazing people in the field like Darnell Fine, Liz Kleinrock, um, Lorena Herman and Paul Gorsuch, like they all say, if you can't name the problem, you can't fix the problem. If you can't name the thing, how are you going to teach the thing? Um, so that's just kind of what started this sort of snowball effect. It probably started three or four years ago and it kind of led me to where I am now. Yeah, I, I am so excited, Justin, to, to just sort of see where your extended session goes because, you know, really it's sort of that notion of so many conversations that we need to have more of. And I was really excited also to see that one of your sessions goals is for educators to examine their positionality. I think that's another conversation that we're not necessarily having enough of. So for listeners or uh, potential participants who might not be unfamiliar with that term, because again, um, you know, as you were saying, it's sort of these conversations are happening, but it, maybe they're not being amplified or they're just not being had um, at the level of depth that they deserve. Um, you know, that type of reflexive thinking, can you just talk to us a little bit about an example of how you have engaged with that critical work yourself? Sure. Um, it's a really great question that I've, you know, been posing to a lot of educators as well. And before starting into this work, it's extremely important. It's necessary to examine um, ourselves first, and especially our positionality. And what that refers to is how our it refers to the socio-political context within our identities. Whether or not our pieces of our identity are important to us, um, it's still 
provides us lenses, it's still, it's still, it's the word I'm looking for. It still guides our, our um, view of the world and how we interact with the world and how we interact with our students. For example, I am a light-skinned, brown, queer, neurodivergent, able-bodied, English speaker, American. Those are like lots of different aspects of my identity. And I work at an international school. Uh, again, whether or not those, as those aspects are important to me, but they may not be important to someone else. However, uh, it's still, is how I look at the world, is how I experience the world. And it's how I, whether or not I'm doing it intentionally, it's how I interact with students as well, especially being an American English speaker in Thailand, teaching mostly Thai and Chinese students. So I don't, it's not something that I've seen a lot of educators sort of interact in, especially cis white educators in a lot of these spaces. So I really want us to take the time to examine that, those pieces of our identities and how they come into play and impact these international school spaces where most of our students are a part of the global majority, right? And how has, how does our positionality impact the way we teach, but then also impact and reform the identities of our students who are learning English? And I think that's that's bound to be really powerful because I do think when we're doing identity work with others, that starting with self piece um, and and understanding how powerful that can be is so important. Um, Justin, I'm gonna go out on a limb here. You know, every extended session that I have been a part of with Learning to, I would say. Um, you know, behind every single one of them is a great community and a great amount of learning that that facilitator has done. And I'm wondering if you would point us to work or communities or people who have been foundational for you in your research and your growth um, and getting you ready for this April 23rd extended session that you'll be facilitating. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because we, we had our first um, facilitators meet up the other night and I was just connecting with some of the other facilitators about just how much how much work we're putting into our presentations and I've so far I've read four books um, to help like guide me through this process um, and you know in, kind of interpreting and including you know what I've been reading and learning um, into my teaching and then into this this reason this showcase right um, I think the biggest names that came to mind are mind are Lorena Herman, um, Liz Kleinrock, Joshua Pace, Cynthia D. Nelson, Dr. Suhanti Matha, um, Darnell Fine, to name to name a few. And especially with the the gender and sexuality piece, um, there's actually been a pretty amazing amount of research and literature that talks about um, gender and sexual identity and how it intersects with language learning. And when I kind of discovered this a couple of, like maybe a year or two ago, I went down that rabbit hole real deep because, and I was also kind of angry because none of these people were being showcased, were being cited, were being referenced. And 
I just I just felt so upset. Like this is this is such an incredible part of um, multilingualism that people aren't exploring. So, for example, Joshua Pays, they're um, a, a professor, and they have written several books about that intersection. I I have one here. It's Queering the English Language Classroom: A Practical Guide for Teachers. And this is really this is published back in 2000, 2019. Um, Cynthia D. Nelson is another queer English or language educator, and she's been doing research uh, on queering English language classrooms since the mid 90s. In fact, um, the kind of first sort of landmark thing that happened with this is in TESOL, in the TESOL conference, I think in 1995 or 96, she held a panel about LGBT, uh, LGBT English teachers in English classrooms, which was like huge back in the mid nineties. And what was so radical about um, Cynthia Nelson's panel is that it was in the mid nineties. We were fresh off of the AIDS crisis. There was so much homophobia, so much transphobia, so much violence and she held this panel that was just about, you know, we're LGBT teachers and we are teaching these kids. We are teaching LGBT students. Um, so I've been really digging into these voices um, and sharing them out because they just aren't in the canon. And there is so much information there is so much um, incredible thought here that i think is just not being highlighted at least in the spaces that that i'm in so i'm being really intentional about um, who i research and what i research um, and what i put into practice in my own classroom and then what i you know interpret and consolidate for presentations like learning too it sounds fantastic. And, you know, that has been something that I've really admired about the Learning to community is, you know, let's look at pushing the conversation forward. Um, and, um, you know, that, that research sounds incredible, Justin. I can't wait to hear more about that. Another goal of your session is to look at the role that language plays in shaping and influencing identity um, as one of your many um, admiring Twitter followers. It's amazing to see you, of course, working very hard on your tie. Um, and I'm curious, you know, if that experience, your experiences with Thai language, you know, how that is actually showing up in, in your practice, in your identity as an adult learner. Yeah, um, it has in some ways. And I think the biggest thing for me is, is learning Thai. First off, I'm not I, I do not consider myself fluent in Thai. However, I am more advanced than the average person I interact with who's not from Thailand. Um, and I think, you know, I've like I've had parent conferences in Thai and I can navigate that relatively comfortably. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me is that has just given me more empathy because learning a language is very difficult. It is very time consuming and it is exhausting. And a lot of the students um, in class, you know, they're around English, which is maybe their second, their third, their fourth language for 
the entire day. And um, it just made me think of, wow, if I get tired after two hours of speaking Thai, I think you're probably really, really exhausted having you know been in this English environment for six or seven hours. Um, however, you know, Thai, and this another researcher um, that has really influenced me is Danao Tanu, who wrote uh, Growing Up in Transit, right? And, you know, English has so much capital within international school spaces. Um, and in our particular context, there are so many kids who lose their Thai, who lose their Chinese. Um, they might a lot of our students here don't leave. We have very little student turnover. So a lot of students have been here since kindergarten and they graduate here um, or have been here for several years. And it's not uncommon to see these kids lose their tie. And by the time they're in high school, they might be able to talk with their family, um, but they don't necessarily have the skills to have like a job interview in Thai or go into a Thai workplace or go into a Thai um, classroom and engage. And that just shows just the power and influence that, that English has. And knowing Thai and know, understanding this, um, hierarchy, this linguistic hierarchy that international schools upheld has helped me challenge it and connect with students more. And that's where that translanguaging piece comes in. Knowing Thai has helped influence that in my practice. So then students, I can hopefully help foster some um, appreciation for Thai and English. Uh, because a lot of, even a lot of students in, especially the younger students are like, I wish I just didn't speak Thai, I wish I only spoke English. And that it breaks my heart and the Thai teachers are just like oh I how do you how do you change that mentality right and um and so that's something I think it's helped me navigate a bit more in classrooms a bit more intentionally I would bet, you know, in, in looking at changing that mentality, the example that you're providing in part, you know, again, says so much, um, you know, in, in the action. So again, folks, if you're not following Justin, um, it, it's a pleasure, of course, to follow you for all of the content that you're sharing, but I, I wish you luck in your continued journey um, working on, on Thai. It is a beautiful language. Lastly, Justin, I noticed your session plans to bring each participant back to rethink their sphere of influence. And I really think um, in the context of education, this is massively important. The work that you've shared in various ways um, and over in the show notes, I'll be sure to include the link to Justin's blog. It's been influential to many, many people. And I'm again wondering, you know, what have you learned or had to reconsider about your personal sphere of influence, um, maybe in the past year or so? Yeah, um, it's it's really been even just like a five year process, <laughs> no joke. Since I started here um, at my school, because I realized very quickly that I wasn't in a position to make a lot of immediate change. And 
I had to navigate, I still have to navigate a lot of bureaucratic, you know, conservative processes. Um, so I had, I quickly realized that instead of investing my energy in a lot of these concepts and a lot of these movements that I have, I might have some influence, but really I don't have the decision-making power to implement a lot of different things like, you know, an equity statement um, or having, um, you know, learning for justice standards implemented in UBDs and things like that. I just, I just didn't have that leeway, right? So it helped, so I had to rethink of what is within my sphere of change that I can immediately um, impact students with. So one of those things was um, we can we can request books in the library in our in our school library. So that, that was kind of my first plan of action at my current school. I recommended a ton of books, and I still do. Like every week, I send probably the librarian like five or six different books. Um, that are more contemporary, that are inclusive, that feature gen or queer characters and trans characters, um, stories of and about people of color. And the library, over the past several years, the library has grown a lot. And I see a lot of the books that I have um, requested. So I'm like, okay, this is where I can make change. Right, this is where I can invest a lot of my energy. And then we're very fortunate here to have a lot of autonomy in the classroom. So I, that's another area that I identified within my sphere of change. I can read these books and read alouds. I can design mini lessons and mini units that align with our current curriculum to further explore these, these topics. And I think in the past year specifically, I have learned the power of social media and connecting with other queer educators, with other POC educators through organizations like ALOC, through Twitter. And I, I really learned the importance of community and how that impacts me as just not just as an educator but as a person i didn't know any queer teachers before i go in my 10 years of teaching before i went to a lot before you know i helped start the, the queer lgbt affinity group space before i got involved in twitter um i didn't know anybody else and having that sense of community has been hugely impactful. And I think a part of that is because of the pandemic, we really had to search for these like-minded individuals outside of our immediate space because we really had no, no choice, especially queer people, especially BIPOC folks within international school spaces because there's just not many of us. Um, so I think over the past year, that has been the most impactful. Well, Justin, you certainly have been an impactful person um, for me. Again, I 
listeners, I cannot recommend strongly enough that you follow Justin, you check out their blog. And if you have that opportunity to attend their session on April 23rd, um, you know, again, I, I, I think it's going to be a remarkable, transformative, joyful session. Um, Justin, I, I feel like those are, are, are kind of safe bets for me to make. So looking forward to catching you at Learning 2. In the show notes, everything that, um, that we've referenced, those opportunities to learn more from Justin are there um, for you to click on and take advantage of. Justin, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Thank you so much, Tricia, and thank you for all the work that you're putting out there in this this podcast. I listen to it every saying I listen to every episode, and it's incredible. Um, so thank you so much for doing what you do. Oh, listeners, I have a very visible blush that um, the podcast <laughs> medium does not communicate, but it's there. Justin, thank you again. <laughs> Thanks, Tricia. If as the result of this conversation, you are as inspired as I am to continue learning from Justin Garcia, head over to the show notes to learn all about registering for their April Learning 2 extended session.